Thank you, Len. Okay. Uh, good morning. Uh, should have something up here, I guess. There's a podium, so I need something to put up there. Give me a minute. Let me begin by saying thank you for attending uh, this uh, section, and also I want to thank uh, my new friend for inviting me to uh, speak on a topic that is really uh, very timely. <clears throat> Uh, many of us have been disturbed by what has happening happened around the country <clears throat> uh, in large cities and also some that are rather small. Uh, many of us haven't even heard of the city of Ferguson until it made national news with the events surrounding the uh, shooting of, of uh, Michael Brown. <clears throat> and of course, we've always had uh, police shootings for a number of years. And with the advent of social media, we're able to capture a lot of events that are essentially real time. And so it gives the appearance that it's happening more frequently now. I'm not so sure that's the case. It could be explained away as a result again of the advent of social media. Uh, Ron made the observation that I've been in law enforcement for about 31 years now. I started my career in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm a native Mississippian, born and raised there, Jackson State graduate, and ended up going to visit a brother in Omaha and decided to go to graduate school up there and also applied for the Omaha Police Department, <clears throat> and the year to the date that I applied, I was, uh, I was hired by the uh, Omaha Police Department, and as I said, I worked a lot of years there, uh, full-time for about eight, nine years. Uh, decided to go to graduate school. I stopped by University of Nebraska Omaha first, and then I, my plan was to stop there and also stop by Creighton Law School, but I stopped by UNO first and met a professor who I didn't know at the time, and we got a chance to solve all the problems in criminal justice, especially those involving <laughs> policing. <clears throat> and we talked for about probably four or five hours in the summertime, and it dawned on me who I was talking to. It was uh, Dr. Samuel Walker. I had read every book he had written as a student at Jackson State, every article, and here I am in front of this genius person I had admired for a long time. And before I knew it, I was in graduate school at University of Nebraska Omaha or UNO. So I never did get to Craig Law School, and I think sometimes, you know, had I stopped by Craig Law School, would I now have the title, you know, attorney or esquire. But at any rate, you know, you never know what God has in store for you, so I'm thankful, nevertheless, to, uh, to be here. And let's talk a little bit about this, this issue. Um, let me sort of let you know from the beginning that I am pro-citizen, I'm also pro-police. Okay, let me say that again. I'm pro-citizen and I'm also pro-police. We need police. We need good police. We also need good citizens. Okay, good citizens. Now, I've had the good fortune of working in different capacities in law enforcement between Omaha and Nebraska and here. I'm still sworn. I uh, do a lot of training. Uh, for policing, I do everything from physical training, I do firearms training, I do theory, I've, I've done just about everything you can do in law enforcement, and I've dealt with all kinds of officers. I also, I've also dealt with all kinds of people, okay, all kinds of people. Now, I'm very disturbed, as you are, again, of many of the events that have taken place, and as a professor of criminal justice <coughs> and criminology, I'm, I'm torn because I cannot explain as some of the kids say, I can't, I can't explain what is happening 
around this country when it comes to the events that's occurring. I, I get at least one or two calls a month from the media asking me to do an interview regarding some event involving law enforcement. And I must admit, there are times when I'm lost for words. Yes. I, I can't explain it. I cannot explain everything that's happening. But today I want to talk about this whole thing in terms of police community relations from a historical standpoint. And I don't mean to insult anyone's intelligence because some of you may know some of this, but some of you don't. So let me share with you just historical context of American policing. How did we get to where we are right now? And maybe this will help us to understand some of the prevailing attitudes among some officers. Some officers. Better be careful because sometimes we say police, that's a blanket condemnation of everybody, right? And we need, again, officers, we need good officers. Okay? Good officers. Not because I'm, I'm one, but we need good officers, those who are objective, those who understand the word courtesy, those who understand the word professionalism. Okay? I'm going to be paraphrasing some of these uh, slides, and please don't be disturbed. I, I walk around because when you're teaching uh, freshman students a lot of times, they, they nod off. <laughs> and it's, not, it's not because I'm boring. That's, that's not the reason, okay? <laughs> but I like to walk around sometimes and I tap them on the shoulder, okay? So don't be disturbed if I tap you on the shoulder, not that you're sleeping, okay? I want to make sure you're still with me, all right? Okay, but look at this, this uh, quote here. They represent the force of the white world, and that world's real intentions are simply for that world's criminal profit and ease to keep the black man corralled up here in his place. The badge, the gun, and the holster, and the swinging club make vivid what will happen should his rebellion become, <coughs> become overt. Those of you who are readers may recognize those words from James Baldwin, writing in the 1960s. Well, Dr. Turner, this is 2015. It's 2015. What do I do with anything? A lot. It has a lot to do with this. A lot to do with it, okay? A brief history of American law enforcement. Another disclaimer, I've written book chapters, articles on the history of law enforcement, post-administration, so I have some familiarity with this, this issue when it comes to understanding, you know, why we, um, have certain opinions and, pers and uh, perspectives of law enforcement officers and conversely why officers feel the way they feel about us as citizens, okay? The birth and development of the American police can be traced to the multitude of historical, legal, and political economic conditions. The institution of slavery and the control of talking about slavery. You guys always talking about slavery. Come on. Always talking about slavery. That was over 200 years ago and they're talking about slavery. Yeah. It's still relevant, people, because in this country, everything inevitably becomes a political question, and slavery is a what? A political question. We can't escape it. Okay, so that's why we still talk about it. It's so important. We don't dwell on it. Know that it exists. Acknowledge it. Okay? Now, again, I'm going to paraphrase some of these things, and I'd be happy to share the slides with you. You can go back and read at your own leisure. But for the sake of time, I want to spend just a little bit of this precious time because I'm more interested in what you have to say, and maybe I can respond to some of your, your inquiries. Fair enough? Fair enough. Okay, and I can talk real fast. I was born talking fast, and I can talk even faster. If I go too fast, just say, hey, slow down, Doc, okay? All right. 
Slave patrols. Ever heard of slave patrols, people? Slave patrols, okay? Night watches, which later became the modern police department, were both designed to control the behaviors of minorities. In the book chapter that I wrote, I argued <clears throat> that this was, in fact, this being slave patrols were, in fact, the forerunner of the American police, okay? 1704, there he goes again, on way back to 1704. Yeah, it's, it's relevant, okay? Carolina developed the nation's first slave patrol. That's important, people. Carolina developed the first slave patrol. What year was this? 1704. Okay, here we are, 2015, okay? It's important. Slave patrols helped to maintain the economic order and to assist the wealthy landowners in recovering and punishing slaves who essentially were considered property. We know this, don't we? I mean, you've been in history classes, you know, throughout your life. You've heard, read documentaries, <clears throat> okay? Slavery was fully institutionalized in the American economic and legal order with laws being enacted at both the state and national divisions of government. Virginia <laughs> enacted more than 130 slave statutes, dealing with slaves. <coughs> don't tell me that slaves are not important. 130 slave statutes between 1689 and 1865. Stay with me. Slavery and the abuse of people of color, talking about black men mostly, was not just something that was concentrated here in the South. It wasn't just a Southern thing, or the kids say a Southern thing. It wasn't just that, okay? It was also above the Mason-Dixon line. So in the North, or northeast. So as long as you kept in the south, northerners were fine with it. Just don't bring it up here. We'll fight, but just don't bring it up here. Okay? So Connecticut, New York, other uh, colonies engaged in issues to, to uh, suppress and oppress. Okay? Then the Fusion Slave Law, <clears throat> 1783 and also in 1850. Again, I know some of you are writing. I'd be happy to provide this to you a little bit later. Okay, so just stay with me. Blacks have long been targets of abuse. The use of patrols to capture one race slaves was one of the precursors of the former police forces, especially in the South. That's what I argued in that chapter. So when you see African-American men in particular lined up, and you see mostly white male officers, what image comes to mind? Okay, that image comes to mind. And for folk who are my, my age and certainly older than me, this is very, very real. <laughs> this is very, very real. Now I'm gonna turn the corner momentarily, but I want you to understand again some more about the history of how we got to the American police, particularly in the South. I taught the course in college called uh, Police and Society for over 27 years now. And I spent a great deal of time trying to get students to understand how we got from the old watchman's uh, system to what we see today, men and women wearing blue uniforms and all the apparatus that come with it, with it. Our system was seemingly based on the English system of law enforcement. Uh, Sir Robert Peel, 1829, who was like a, uh, a congressman, if you will, or a senator in the British system, member of parliament who produced this document called the Pillian Act of 1829. 
And there were several facets, several uh, uh, principles, if you will, in this document which outlined how a modern police force should be designed. Now, London was no more than about maybe 5,000 people at the time, but that was huge because in England, London, United States, America, we were still pretty much in a Garingan society, okay? So we didn't have many cities. We had folks still in the country, growing their own food, raising their own cow for food, right? But when people come together in one area that's small, conflict oftentimes arises. Would you agree? Because we need our space, don't we? It doesn't matter how old you are, young, how much money you have, the color of your skin, you encroach on my space, it's going to be some trouble. Okay? Is that right? Yeah. I'm too close to the gentleman right now. He feels uncomfortable. So imagine people coming to a, to a place, you don't know them, know nothing about them, and this is what's happening in the world around this time. And so London decided that, or I should say Sir Robert Peel, Sir Robert Peel decided that there needs to be a new, respo a new uh, response to uh, law and order, or I should say disorder. And so he designed what is called the Police of the Metropolis. That was the first modern police force in London, England. And so America, because we are so intertwined with the English system, right? And we can talk like they talk some time. And so we adopted, right, every law, the common law system. And that's how we got here, seemingly. So the cities along the eastern seaboard, in terms of Philadelphia, New York, Boston, those cities seemingly adopted the London system. But we get down to the south, <laughs> they had something in place already, correct? They had the slave patrol, okay? So they stayed with the slave patrol model, whereas uh, Philadelphia, uh, Boston, uh, New York City, they adopted the English system, the whole rank structure. And Sir Robert Peel is one of my heroes. I mean, a brilliant person. It wasn't easy getting this approved by Parliament. Because imagine you got politicians, and every politician is straight, correct? No, no problem, right? They're honest, right? Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So imagine you have this group of men in Parliament, and this person come before them testifying. Uh, advocating for a organized, large police force. They were thinking, wait a second, that's going to be too much power. <laughs> and they might investigate some things that I've been involved in. Well, that's true. And that's exactly what happened. So there was resistance. And so Sir Robert Peel was not successful. He tried many times, but eventually it did happen. As a matter of fact, his, his, uh, his father, Sir Robert Peel Sr., tried it, but was unsuccessful. Okay, now, folks, this is important to understand in terms of how we got where we are today in this country. Uh, the difference between North and South, <clears throat> how we view each other, how we view police, how police view uh, citizens, and then how police view minorities and how they view African Americans in particular. There is a history there. So the question becomes, well, that was long ago, okay? Is it still happening today? Okay, so that's what we have to deal with here momentarily, okay? Continuing on. Um, just a quote again from the chapter that I had written with some co-authors here that's talked about, you know, how we got here in terms of 
of uh, what literature shows. That basically what I'm, what I'm saying <laughs> is that there was a system in place already, especially in the South, and it was in place to control the slave population. Okay? And then we further argue that the similarities are so close, they're, they're, they're very powerful in terms of what happened, in terms of the initial development, and what's happening today, even in 2015. So once again, it was the forerunner of the modern American law enforcement. So keep in mind how the South developed its law enforcement system versus those on the East Coast. Well, what about the West, the Southwest? Well, they were still in that Western mode. Now, I'm a cowboy fan. I love black and white cowboy movies. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorites is still Gunsmoke. Right. Yeah, and I, I'm, I, just, I just like it. I'm not ashamed to say it, okay? As a matter of fact, when I get in, I'm gonna watch some more today. Uh, but Gunsmoke, and I call him sometimes Mr. Gunsmoke, but Marshall Dillon was, was, a, was he a sheriff? No, he wasn't. Okay, he was a marshal, right? Why is he a marshal versus a sheriff? The territory, right? Exactly, okay. The sheriff was, was county-wide, got it? So that was a presidential appointment, okay? So that system in the West, in the Southwest, utilized the marshal system, okay? And also what was called the sheriff, sheriff. England's called sheriff, now sheriff, okay? So that's how the system developed on the, the Southwest and certainly going toward California. So those places that have yet to become a state, but they were still territories. So there weren't slaves. You got it? Okay. Understand the difference now? Okay, so you can learn a lot from watching, you know, Gunsmoke. <laughs> okay, now, let me see a show of hands. How many of you would go home today and watch Gunsmoke? Anybody? Okay. Well, watch Gunsmoke, okay? <laughs> All right. Watch Gunsmoke, and you're going to learn a whole lot from watching how they talk, okay? I mean, I like to, I, I also ride horses. I like to be met sitting in his, in his saddle. You know, I try to emulate that, okay? All right. So much for that, okay. All right. Um, blacks have long been a target of abuse and use of patrols to capture runaway slaves was one of the precursors, again, of the formal forces in the South, okay. And this legacy lasted for a very, very long time. Until what year? 1964. Now, we didn't say it ended then, right? But until then, got it? Until then. Now, um, some of you were around <laughs> in 1964. Correct? Some of you were even a part of the many movements that took place right here in Memphis. Okay? Some of you may even have some physical lumps, bruises. Those civil protests encompasses a great deal of society. It also included how police treated African Americans. Got it? It was also about social and economic justice. The opportunity to go to school, in the school you wanted to provide you with the qualifications. The opportunity and the right to sit in the front of the bus. <clears throat> My vivid experience of segregation was going to the dentist's office, get a tooth extracted. <clears throat> and I was about to go into the wrong door. How <laughs> I many had that experience before? The wrong door. And my mother, <laughs> bless her heart, she jerked me so hard until I think my left shoulder is still out of, out of place. <laughs> she said, boy, you can't go in there. There's a door, <laughs> okay? No, you can't go in there. So we, we marched, right? We, I mean, as a people, we marched uh, to 
they have the opportunity and the right to go to the dentist's office through the front door, okay, and to not be called boy, girl, missy, missy. This is what we, what we march for, correct? Mm -hmm. And we also march in hopes of making sure the police treat us with respect, treat us with mm -hmm. dignity, courtesy. We want them to be professional toward us and to be objective. Don't assume because my skin color is different from yours that I'm guilty, okay? Don't use me as a punching bag. That's not how I should be. I'm an American citizen. I, 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 was, I was born here, and the Constitution says that I'm an American citizen, so I have the same rights as anyone else. So that's what, what we were marching for as a people, correct? And as citizens who, because they were certainly thanks to non-blacks or non-Negroes who were marching, correct? <laughs> I'm telling you, couldn't have done it by ourselves, okay? So thanks to uh, those who were also a part of this, this movement. Stay, this is all relevant, people, stay with me, it's all relevant, okay? All right, so question, 2015, question. <coughs> Why do we still have a disproportionate number of African-American men in particular killed, beaten, and arrested by police. And I shouldn't say not just major urban cities, but in cities across this country. Because Ferguson was not a major urban city, was it? No. no. And we're not going to condemn Ferguson for one known act, although it was a grave act. Okay? I try to be very careful that I don't issue a blank termination over everybody. I try to be very, very careful to use my words. But we're not going to condemn Ferguson for one known act, okay? So what's happening? Why do we still have this issue? Okay? How many of you remember, this is not this slide, how many of you remember the Colonel Commission's report? Okay, one or two people. This was in response to the riots that were occurring <coughs> And very, very briefly here, uh, the commission reported to the president that the reason why there's such animosity between the police and the minority communities, these were minority back then, is because police were stopping, frisking, searching, and arresting young Negro males for very minor offenses. Sounds familiar? <coughs> Sounds familiar? Yes, it does. Okay. The Kerner Commission. When you have a commission, it's named after the person who the president or the governor appoints to lead it as an investigation into what was happening in cities across this uh, country. How many of you remember the Watts riots? Mm -hmm. How many of you were there were riots also in Detroit, mm -hmm. Miami, Cleveland? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Even in my place, Omaha. <laughs> Okay, so we've, we've been there before. That's why I put 2015. Why are we still having this issue? Okay. Okay, so should we hire more black officers? Is that the answer? All right, students, the question is, <laughs> should we hire more black officers? No? Yes. I think we qualify. I've been in law enforcement almost 40 years. 
Sorry. Uh, a lot of farmers are only hired during those periods of sure. priorities when they want to meet their quota. Yeah. But there were a number of qualified people that were available that they were not touched. Okay. So I think that's part of what we're removing some of that also. We don't have policemen that are policing the neighborhoods or mirror the neighborhoods in which they're policing. Okay. I like that. I like that. He mentioned something called the Law Enforcement Administration Assistance Act. Lee, Leah, and also LEAP. And that's a sore subject for me with all due respect because in 1978 when I was at Jackson State and you know, started there, they ran out of money. Mm. And I could have gone to school for free, Ron. <laughs> I'm still mad about that. <laughs> I'm still mad about that. So a lot of officers who are retired now, a lot of them receive welfare. And I understand what I'm saying, okay? They receive free money to go to school to better themselves. That's great. But I missed it by, I think, three months. Now, I'm still mad <laughs> about it, okay? I had to go to work at Sears as a, a trans mechanic. I went to class every day in a, in a uh, dirty, greasy, oily smelling uniform to pay my way to school because my, my scholarship wasn't enough money. So I'm still mad about LEAP, okay? <laughs> LEAP. Still mad about it. Okay, but good, interesting point. Uh, when I became an officer, I was also the vice president of the Midwest Guardians, which is a black officer association. And we talked about the same thing. Let's hire some more black officers, okay? This would help to kind of neutralize. We go into calls. We felt that a white officer would be less likely, you understand, to engage in illegal behavior if I'm present. And I believe that to be the case, okay? So you remember the term consent decrees? Okay, affirmative action, I wrote an article three on that as well, and I still support affirmative action, I don't care what you say, I still support it. Okay, let me say it again. I support affirmative action, okay, because had that been affirmative action, someone's gonna be in there right now. Okay, I'm gonna be in there right now, okay. Yes, yeah, that's right, that's right, um, minorities and also women, okay. Okay, now, I, I digress, but very quickly. So let's hire black officers. Uh, how do we improve relations between the police and minority community. So I'm still talking about, do we hire black officers more? Okay. Is there a role for black officers? Okay, absolutely, someone says. What's the role? Be a policeman. Well, a policeman's supposed to enforce the law. Okay. Uh, when, you know, the call comes out, 911, you know, I, as a citizen, I have a, a, a disturbance in my home, okay, involving uh, uh, African-American family. Husband and wife are fighting, okay? Husband and wife are fighting, or someone in the home is, is fighting. White officer responds, and then all of a sudden, the fight turns, and those who've been in law enforcement understand what I mean. <laughs> the fight turns from the combatants, now the attacked officer. Somebody has a knife because you're in the kitchen. Talk to me. You're in the kitchen. Can a knife cut you? Yes. Can a knife be used to kill you? Yes. White officer pulls his weapon and fires around and killing the suspect. Now we want to go outside and protest, right? Want to go down and get some placards. You know, we want to fire every white officer on the force. Correct? because they shouldn't have killed <laughs> that man with the knife who was coming at him to kill the officer. He should have shot him in the leg. <laughs> should have shot him in the hand. Now remember I said I like gun smoke. 
as the kids say, don't buy into the hype. We've done studies. Those guns were not that accurate back then. Most police shootings take place in less than 10 more like between here, between me and you, most of them, okay? Do you know how hard it is to shoot somebody in the leg and the arm when you're under stress? So that's why we train to shoot center mass. We don't train to kill, we train to shoot center mass, stop the threat, stop the threat. Folks, you understand the example, the example I just gave? Okay, now, we also train officers every day on how to use good discretion. We do a pretty good job of that. We do a darn good job of teaching officers how to shoot targets you know, in a silhouette, you know, center mass. We do a good job of that. But we do a horrible job of teaching them human relations skills. Amen. Horrible job. Okay? We spend about 90% of the time training for what we do less than 1% of the time. Let me say the part again. We spend about 90% of the time training for what we do less than 1% of the time. Shootings do not occur every day. I can't stand before you and say that I never pulled my gun. I pulled my gun a lot of times. I pulled it on traffic stops. I pulled it on searches. I pulled it on somebody. I've done it. I'm not embarrassed to say I've done it. I've been shot at. I'm thankful I didn't return fire because that would have been a contradiction for me. That's my own testimony. Okay? You have to have your own source of inspiration for that. And I, I didn't return fire. Okay? Thank God I'm still here. I would have been justified in shooting a person with a shotgun. Had he raised it another millimeter, he would have been dead. But I'm thankful it didn't happen, okay? I would have been justified. But something told me, KB, just hold off a split second, okay? And I was afforded that split second. Sometimes you don't, you don't have a split second to make that decision. You have to respond, okay? And sometimes it results in the loss of life. And that's very unfortunate. So what do we do? That's not the answer, folks. Hire more black officers. Also, truth be told, what happened about black officers? Aren't we all humans? <laughs> Don't we all get, can I say P.O. in church? Don't we get P.O. Okay, excuse me. Can I say upset? <laughs> Don't we all get upset? Don't we lose our emotions sometimes? Yeah, yeah, we do. Okay? So we have to be careful what you ask for. Okay? All right. Very, very timely topic because President Obama had commissioned a task force to look into this issue surrounding Post-community relations. Why are we having so many problems again? <laughs> okay, as though it went away. It didn't go away. It never went away. It's been around since the slave patrol. We got cell phones now. When I started law enforcement, there was no such thing as a cell phone. <laughs> then we got a bag phone. <laughs> I mean, the bag phones. We had two cars, three cars on the force. Now we have five cars on the force that had telephones. They were the dial-up kind, right? The lieutenant had one. Okay. <laughs> Had the beepers and pagers. Had to go to a to a uh, telephone booth. They're still, those still around booths, okay? Use use your money, okay, to call, all right, about a case. But President Obama convened this this um, commission and uh, had a pretty diverse group of people on the uh, committee, and came up with these uh, six pillars, okay. Very quickly, read through those very quickly, please. And again, I will provide these to you. 
but building trust and legitimacy. We talk about that all the time, don't we? We need to have more folks we can, we can depend on, and because right now we don't trust them, okay? Policy is very, very important, but it also should be published, okay? Technology and social media, not just for citizens, but for officers to use as well, okay? You gotta keep up. Community policing, heard that before? Been around a very, very long time. Crime reduction, excuse me. Training, yeah, they, they, they ain't been trained well. Some of them haven't. But for the most part, we do a darn good job of police training. I speak for Memphis. I, I trained out there a lot of times. Memphis has one of the best trained PDs, in my opinion, in the country. And I've been to quite a few academies. One of the best trained, okay? Officer wellness and safety. Folks, do you have any idea what it's like to go to a car at nighttime by yourself where you're not necessarily close to a lot of other people and you got three or four people in the car who may or may not have guns? You ever thought about that before? You ever thought what it's like to go to a car and you go up there, you, you rely on your training. You know, we train you to test the car and you go up to it, right? See you feeling the movement in the car, all right? We do those kind of things, right? You're scared. And you better be scared because being scared saves your life. Think about that, okay? What would you have done if a person would have come to your car, got almost in your car? What would you have done? Move your phone for a minute. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? You don't know me. What would you do? Now I've told you to back off, stop, freeze. You coming anyway? You're gonna fight, flight, correct? Now, in law enforcement, we, up until recently, I trained guys, it's okay to retreat. It's okay to retreat. Now, <laughs> in my day, early on, you better not run. The guys in the precinct will have your head, call you all kinds of names. But I train guys, it's okay to retreat. Not all the time. Not, not all the time. Got it. It's okay to, to run, or to retreat, rather. So all I've asked you to do in terms of post-community relations is to think about how you would respond. Even though you may have, it, you may have had police training, some of it a lot of it's common sense because it's common courtesy. Something your mom and dad taught you a long time ago. Okay? Oftentimes you just comply. And this is for people who will go back to their communities. You know, I give presentations a lot of times, like in the church, and I tell young people, you get stopped by the police, just do what you've been told to do. A traffic stop lasts about 10 minutes. I know because I made Thousands of them. I used to be a traffic officer also. Ten minutes. Swallow your pride. Keep your mouth shut. Be on your way. Don't get out the car. What's up? <laughs> What'd you stop me for? They're going to tell you. Just patience. So tell your children, your grandchildren, your brothers, your nephews, your nieces, that's white and non-white. Okay? Be able to tell your story in court, yeah. right? 
can no one speak better for me, for me than me. But you out there late on the payment. <laughs> he was a good guy. <laughs> Recommendations, several. If you get a chance, please read this report. <clears throat> Some of you know are, are, are head of or leading different organizations. Please get the report. It's online. Okay, it won't cost you anything but the, the cost of printing it off. Very detailed, one of the better ones I've seen in a very long time coming out of commission. Okay, but the president should support and provide funding to create a national crime and justice task force to review and to evaluate all components of the CJ system. So that means police course and corrections, every aspect of it, because there, are, there is a disparity, no doubt about it, in policing when it comes to who's arrested, those who go to court, those who are convicted, and subsequently those who are incarcerated. There is a disparity needs to be addressed, okay? This is not new, folks. This is not new. Ever since the Negro or African arrived to these shores, there's been a disparity. Okay, this is not new stuff. The president should promote programs that take a comprehensive and inclusive look at community-based initiatives that address the use of issues of poverty, education, health, and safety. There he go, the bleeding heart liberal talking about poor people. Yes, exactly. Not because you're poor, it's because you are poor, you have limited resources. And I've been poor. I'm not ashamed to, to admit it. Okay, yeah, I wore the hand-me-down shoes. Even wore my sister's shoes a few times. <laughs> I did. But I thank God I was able to get over that. Most embarrassing. Didn't know what new clothes were. were. <laughs> Hand-me-downs, okay? And some of you were the same way. Look at me like I'm the only one. Okay? I couldn't go to any school I wanted to because the man was not there. Okay? I qualified, tested well, okay? But poverty affects all of us people. It also affects us in terms of how we relate to the police. Because if we're not in poverty, chances are we not have the contact we have with police. There's a reason for that, all right? Very, very quickly, I was a training officer and I had a recruit with me from Iowa. He's a big football player, just about 1984, 85. And uh, went through the projects. You know what projects are? still call them projects? Okay. We had projects in Omaha also. And I worked midnight shift, about 2 o'clock in the morning, and uh, he asked me, this big white male, about 6'4", about 3'10", played down line from the University of Iowa. Been in Nebraska, <laughs> Nebraska, you know, we were enemies nevertheless. But he asked me, he said, man, why are these folks outside at 2 o'clock in the morning? He never thought that it's hot as heck. <laughs> it's hot. Public housing always provides you AC. <laughs> so you went outside and you fanned, and more people came outside because it's cool on the outside. It never done him, but it was a teaching moment. Okay? Teaching moment. So something as small and minor as that can make a difference. So they're outside, they're outside, then the chances of getting into trouble increases. Okay? Understand? The space thing I talked about earlier, that comes into play. All right? So, okay. Listen, there are a lot of recommendations. And again, I, I do want you to read this at your leisure. Uh, but if it's okay with you, can I now entertain some questions you may have, please? Yes, sir. So with what you have told us, how much of training is going to be diversity training? Yes. Let me answer that question. Very good question. 
Let me go back to my own personal experience in terms of being a young officer. We've had so many people to come to us, experts to come to us, to teach us and train us on the differences between whites and non-whites, the culture, if you will. So this has picked up, and you can never get enough of it, okay? If I'm writing a curriculum, I'm going to include differences and diversity. As a matter of fact, I do a class right now at Memphis PD, Post Department, and around the country, where I deal strictly with multicultural issues, okay? Lincoln, Nebraska, we had an influx of Vietnamese to move in, and they contacted the university to do a class. I developed a class for them to help them understand a little bit, which meant to read myself, okay? So very important, and I certainly endorse that. Uh, nothing new. We, we, we've always had this issue, but certainly should be one of the top things right next to firing or firearms use. Remember I said that 90-something percent versus less than 1 percent? Very important. Okay, thanks for the question. Anybody else? Yes, sir. about that okay and it's one of those things that I think that we have to strive in our profession to find those people that have that ability within them to just be able to relate have a spiritual uh, outlook sure. and a positive attitude spiritually as they relate to the public yeah. because if you just put those dynamics that Christ has given us about how we treat our fellow man in the yeah. play every day yeah. then that would not be an issue and then secondly I, it may be the same for you I think we are going to have to get into a practice of giving psychological evaluations to our officers um, who have had numbers of years in service. Uh, you probably went through that yeah. multiple, and it's, like MMPI. it's yeah. very extensive when we go in. It is. But after we've been in a while, how many departments actually yeah. call their people back and say, let me see okay. your mind. Let me butt in because you, you were taking words out of my mouth, and that is we do a good job, I think, when it comes to selecting. We go through various uh, battery of tests, MMPI. I was getting ready to say to you that, unfortunately, we don't test and can't test for religiosity. Okay, we, we, don't, we don't test for that, okay? Should we? I'm not sure. I'm not saying we should. I'm not saying we shouldn't either, okay? But it goes back to what I said earlier, and that is, you know, what, what did mom and dad teach you from day one, what you just said, the golden rule? Okay, respect for others. But maybe something we can recommend, okay, or suggest. Okay, I saw a hand back in the back. Yes? Got it. Thank you. 
Sure. Yeah. So the question becomes, how, how, how are you all balancing this yeah. disrespect for, for, for police right. and that policeman, I, I think on the end of those 76 pillars yes. was the wellness and safety. Okay. So that's a, that's a, a, a big issue with black officers. I agree, with the, not just Louisville, but across the country. Very quickly, we've got to uh, wrap up, but let me make this close observation, uh, and I agree with what you just said, and that is, first of all, there's, there's, a, there's a culture, and it affects you regardless you white, non-white, male or female, because we as human beings want to be a part of, okay? We want to be supported by our coworkers, and you better have support in law enforcement, I'm telling you. You better have support from the principal to back you up. You better have that. So you have to find the balance and determine, you know, I'm not going to cross the line. I'm not going to violate a person's civil rights. I am not going to be abusive. That's something that individuals have to, have to determine for themselves. We may be able to pick that up in our barrier test before we hire people, but that's very important. I will say to you that, again, in your more progressive departments, there's constant training to deal with human relations issues. Some do a good job, some are far behind the curve. And we gotta get those back there caught up because this is something that's happening every, every, every area of the day. Once again, we train 90% of the time, what we do less than 1% of the time. We need to change that balance, okay? So um, it's, it's, it's tough, it's very tough, okay? Wearing a gun and a badge, the expectations are great. It's more difficult today than when I first started because everybody got cameras, right? <clears throat> So imagine a camera on your job every day. Pastors, <laughs> pastors, okay? I remember, imagine a camera on you, okay? So keep that in, keep that in mind, folks. Listen, the, the time is upon us, and I, I hope that I've said something, okay, that's beneficial and gave you some food for thought, okay? And if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me. If you want the slides, you can contact, I guess, Ron. I'd be more than happy to, to share those with you. Thank you so much for your, your questions and, and for indulging me a few extra minutes. Okay.